This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the inspirational, informational, and transparent podcast about aviation careers. Many of you asked me to put together a sample resume and course on how to design a resume. Uh, You know, we're still working on that course, but we already have a course that has a sample resume in it, and it was done uh, by Tom Wachowski. It's called the Pilot Jobs Book, and it's part of actually, if you've been a member of the website in the past, Aviation Careers Podcast, you actually have access to that, but we've moved it to the new platform. You can purchase it, uh, or you can also look at just a free part of the course for the resumes. But anyway, welcome to the podcast, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that and some other things, but today I have with me uh, somebody who's actually in Texas right now, and of course that is Robert Geyer. Robert, welcome back to the podcast. Good evening, or good afternoon, Carl. How are you doing? I'm <laughs> pretty good. I uh, Yes, it is still afternoon for me, too, here on the East Coast, and uh, it's really, it's been a lot of fun uh, flying lately, and I know there's been some challenges with storms, et cetera, but uh, just a cool thing about the flying life and the flying job, uh, you know, I've talked a lot lately, and people say that, uh, you know, they hear a lot about me being close to work, and it has worked out wonderfully well. It gives me a lot of time to do things. Uh, just a little insight in my career. I'm back on research. Reserve uh, for the the month of, de- of excuse me December, and what does that mean? That means I'm on call. But the cool thing is, I moved close to base. I'm only an hour away, and uh, I actually get to sit at home, work on the podcast, and stay on call in case they uh, tell me to run in and, and go take a flight. For those that don't understand reserve, what basically that is is that usually the more junior you are, people go on reserve. But also a lot of real senior people take reserve because. If you live near base, if you live near the airport you fly out of, it's sometimes pretty cool to be on reserve because, you know, you're there and you're hanging out at home watching TV and you're getting paid. But uh, the only downside is, you know, with that is they can call you and say, hey, come on in. You're going away for four days. You're going away for three days. Uh, so it's it's quite interesting. And every different airline has different rules as far as reserve is concerned. With With my airline, if you're on reserve... You can actually, it's usually a 10-hour stint on reserve. And then uh, if you fly a trip or if you don't fly a trip, 11 hours after you clock off from your reserve period or the end of your your actual flight, then you actually start another reserve period for for 10 hours. And that's that's 11 hours is what that is as far as as the reserve is uh, and and as far as a rest period. But, you know, I was wondering what uh, kind of reserve do you have uh, where you work, uh, uh, Robert? Yeah, it's pretty similar. Uh, we usually, typically, if you're on reserve, you're more than likely you're not going to get called to go in. Uh, you might get a few free days off, although it's been slow lately. We've had uh, most of my buddies that have been sitting in reserve have been getting about eight or nine extra days that they're sitting at home not getting called. So they live in base, so they love it. Uh, like you, I'll be back on reserve next month as well. Um, uh, I've been back down to reserve, which is always an option. If you want to do it, because I'm not senior enough to hold Christmas off holding a line. Uh, so, uh, you know, normal schedule where you're not on call, but I am senior enough to hold Christmas off on reserve. So I've been back down to reserve so I could be um, at home with my family. But, uh, yeah, we have uh, pretty similar uh, rules to you. And uh, I think my reserve period, just to give people an idea, is going to start uh, bright and early 3 a.m. is when I go on reserve. And I'll be on reserve for about 14 hours uh, and then I'll have 10 hours off, and it'll start all over the next day until the uh, block of reserve days are over. So that's that's how it works for us. But uh, interestingly enough, we had an American Airlines guy on a jump seat. Uh, he flew seven fives uh, over there. So apparently they don't work a lot on reserve. He told me he hadn't flown in 45 days. Just kind of an interesting little note just to show people how much it can vary from company to company. Interestingly, you brought that up because I have another friend on reserve. I didn't realize we were getting this discussion on reserve, but it's a great time to bring this up. And he actually hardly ever flies. As a matter of fact, he's on reserve uh, in the New York area on a plane, like a 777. He never flies. And remember, you have to have the three takeoffs and landings every 90 days. He actually has to go to training every 90 days because 
he doesn't fly for sometimes four months at a time. He's sitting at home uh, hanging out on reserve. So that can be a good thing. If you're in base, it can be a bad thing. Of course, if you're not in base and you have to commute to reserve, and that's not quite as much fun. Uh, but reserve rules are kind of interesting. We could do a whole show on that. But I want to uh, get to the, the topic today, which is your questions answered and also resumes. Uh, and like I said, you can look at the Pilot Jobs book course and pull down some of those resumes if you actually sign up for the free portion of the course. And, and of course, we're going to have a new course out there. And uh, and also, uh, we're going back to that $10 a month or $100 for a year uh, membership. It's going to be all in the courseware, and there's going to be all these different bundles. And we We've almost done with putting them all together. So, for instance, we're going to have an IFR bundle, a VFR bundle for people wanting to learn more about IFR and VFR. And then we're going to have just the Aviation Careers podcast bundle, which is all those videos that we had before, like uh, flying in the winter and also descend vias, that type of thing. Should you become an airline pilot? All that stuff will be out there. But anyway, as far as the resume is concerned, and I bring this up because everybody's been asking me this, it's really important to have a good resume. It's really important to have a good resume because that makes you stand out from the rest of the people that are out there. It's also important for me doing the recruiting and doing the the interviewing because it's what tells your story very quickly. And there's a couple things that have to be done. This resume it has to show that you qualify for the job first, okay? And that's going to be in the top. It's going to show you a work history and also some flying history. Then it's going to it's going to have in there all your interests, and those are the things at the bottom. So what I do first, I find out if you're qualified for the job. I find out that you have a consistent work history. If you don't, I'm going to make notes of that. And then I go to the bottom, and those are going to be my discussion points. Of course, when we go into some of the things, like if you have gaps in your work history, we're definitely going to get into that. But having a good, clean-looking resume is important. It's also important to keep it to one page as a pilot resume. It's important to have it a format that we are used to looking at as recruiters. And that's what's good about this Pilot Jobs book course. You can actually get that. And we're going to have a course just specifically for putting together the resume. But the Pilot Jobs book course, check it out. It's free to sign up for it. You can link on into it in uh, aviationcareerspodcast.com slash course, uh, Or on the right side of the screen, just uh, click on the Pilot Jobs book course. It's right there. Uh, anyway, so that's it, it's it's extremely important to look have a good resume. I know, Robert, you have looked at so many different resumes and, uh, and have done a lot of recruiting in the past. And, uh, you know, is there anything else you want to add to that as far as why it's important to have a good resume? Absolutely. Uh, the resume is just, it's, it's, it's another one of those first impression deals. So I, I will tell you that uh, I've looked at resumes that you can look at at the resume. You can see the, people, the person, you get a pretty good overview of who they are professionally. Um, that, and I just want to reiterate that one page that you talk about is extremely important. You just want to put on one page. I've had resumes uh, that have come across uh, the, re- the recruiting desk that have been about three or four pages long. And that's just too much. I mean, I know you want to Put in as much uh, of, your, of your professional work as, as possible, but really, it's really important to keep it on that one page. Nice resume paper. It's the first impression that you're going to get of that person. And when you have a lot of resumes on a desk, you know you want to you want that resume to kind of let you stand out, saying, "Hey, this person obviously put a lot of thought, a lot of a lot of time, and a preparation of this of this one page document." Um, it, it's just that first impression there. And having that on a page, I'll tell you from my experience when I interviewed uh, at my current company is you bring in multiple copies of your resume. And when you're sitting there in front of those in front of those interviewers, you hand them that resume. And as you're going through your elevator story or your your first five minute story of opening of who you are as a person professionally and, and personally, they're sitting there and they're making notes on that resume, and they, and they can see it all very clear. Okay. Well, he's in this part of his story of how he got to where he's sitting in front of us today, and they're making notes of that, and they're able to say, okay, this is where this fits in, this is where this fits in, and it just allows them, it's kind of a, a Cliff Notes version of your life, but it's that Cliff Notes of as you're telling them, it puts that whole picture together for them, and it just makes it easy, and you'll see you'll see a lot of interviewers uh, marking up your resume and writing notes on the copy you give them, so that's why just resumes are just so important. And they are. They're very, very important. And uh, those are some great points there. 
One of the things that uh, I want to just reiterate again is just go look at the free course, pilotjobsbook.com. He talks a lot about those things as far as, uh, you know, why it's important and, and what you need to do there. Uh, anyway, let's let's tell you what. Let's move on to some questions here, and uh, we'll move forward with, uh, let's see, what do we have here? We have a couple of really good uh, feedback and questions, et cetera. So, uh, Robert, you are, are you ready for some questions? Yeah, let's do it. I'm ready. All right. Let's go get them here. Let's see. Uh, all right. Here's a, it's just a comment, and we're going back. Some of these, by the way, if you notice that your question comes up a little later, it's because we had some really important questions come up uh, in here, and, and we like to go to the questions before we go to some of the stories. But we're going to back up and do some of these older stories that we weren't able to talk about. So here goes. Uh, this one comes in from uh, Ross McClure, who's actually been somebody that's been on the podcast before. We normally don't tell people their names, but uh, he wanted me to, to actually mention that what he's done and, and uh, how life has been. But uh, he says, uh, we've done it after years of work, working to achieve a lifelong dream of becoming an airline pilot. Just finished my IOE, two weeks of glorious jet flying up to 38,000 feet. So far, the job and this company have been more than I've ever dreamed of. And I wake up excited about the next day, hardly believing that I get paid to do this at least one more day. I know I haven't made it, quote unquote. Uh, I still have many miles to go and so much more to learn. I owe it to everyone who has helped me out so much over the years to do the one thing today to move forward in my aviation career and hopefully help others too. But also, I'm enjoying where I'm at and doing this just today. It's been a wonderful journey so far. Thanks so much for your help and mentorship over the years and to all of your contributors you've had on the show. I don't think I could have done it without your help and the podcast. Keep up the great work. Ross, we really appreciate that. And it's uh, it's really cool that uh, he's and he's been on the podcast before. We'll have to link to some of the, the older episodes where he talks about flying overseas in a helicopter and uh, really interesting stuff. But, but great work, and I'm glad you're enjoying the journey. And we'll want to hear back from you as far as updates on your career. So thanks so much for that. Anyway, let's move on to the next question. It says, uh, I'm a 46-year-old U.S. certified private pilot with 220-plus hours of flying experience currently living in India. While I've always wanted to be a professional pilot, various circumstances have prevented it from happening thus far. But now, inspired by you guys, I've decided to take the plunge to pursue my dreams in aviation. I'm taking a sabbatical from my job and I'm waiting visa and TSA approval to start training for my commercial instrument multi-engine ratings in the United States, after which I'll apply for jobs back here in India. Airline, corporate, or instructing, what does the future hold? God knows, but if I don't try, I will never know. Keep up the great work with the podcast. Well, thanks so much for that email. That was very inspirational. I really, really am. Uh, and just, it, it's one of those things that, that gets me going as far as this podcast. So keep the, the positive uh, emails coming in. And it also helps those people listening right now. So thanks so much for that one. Um, let's see. We got another one here. It says, uh, recently I found your programs in podcasts, which are quite interesting and exciting. I haven't been flying for more than a decade after I got my commercial pilot and accumulated 300 flying hours in South Australia. The country I'm from is in Southeastern Asia with very limited resources to pursue even the recreation flight. Anyway, I love your programs and appreciate your effort. Although I'm not a professional pilot now, I'd like to do some studies, especially the books that most airline pilots recommend. Could you possibly run one program sharing some essential books to help the introductions since there is a new flight school and only one in Taiwan where I'm from, so I cannot wait to renew my commercial pilot soon. Well, I tell you what, there's a bunch of, of books out there, and we have lists of them on the website. We keep putting more out there, so look under the recommended reading of the website. But with that said, there's some really cool, and don't just think books, there's also stuff you can stream on the internet and uh, on YouTube as far as learning about becoming an airline pilot. Some really, really cool stuff out there. Uh, so just, you know, the, the all these different books that, that are out there, every single one of them I think is terrific because you can actually learn something and glean something from everything you read. Even if it's a book that, you know, 20% is all you get out of it, that's 20% more than you knew, and the other 80% is stuff you already already have known. Uh, I, I'm wondering, uh, Robert, is there anything that you might off the top of your head want to kind of talk about as far as books that somebody might want to look towards as far as a career in aviation, maybe talk about some of the, the uh, airline stuff that we know? 
Well, I mean, as far as come being from the different uh, uh, part of the world, as I don't know as far as what would be the good books for the resources, um, as far as specific to that region, regulations and all that. I remember uh, what I would what I would recommend though is you know maybe some basic uh, books as far as aeronautical knowledge goes, uh, and probably just looking at the resources of the books that you have. I don't know anything off the top of my head that's really speaking to me as far as, you know, things that would be helpful written by other pilots. But uh, maybe maybe you might know, do you have resources like that down on your on your list? Yeah, actually, there. that's uh, one of the things we were talking about is just uh, is that there's, you know, recommended reading, but there's so many other good books out there and, uh, you know, things about how, you know, what it's like to be a, an airline pilot. But uh, but everything's good. All those things, all those things that you can find out on the Internet are wonderful. But, yes, we have a, a list of, uh, you know, it's like, what it's like to become a professional pilot. Uh, there's lots. Robert Mark put out a very good book about that, and lots of other stuff out there. So check it out on the website. Recommended reading. Uh, as far as doing a whole episode on it, uh, I think I would bore people if I went through it. But one thing I would like you to do is check out the recommended reading and also the uh, picks of the week that we have at the bottom of some of these podcasts. We don't do them every time, every week, but uh, just check those out. I think that would be that would be really really cool. Um, I know there's the normal stuff. I know Robert that you usually recommend, and you know the turbine pilots flight manual and all that stuff. And that's that's good stuff uh, for any airline pilot, no matter where you are. Uh, so. Yeah, that that's what I was kind of trying to get at, but I, I wasn't sure exactly specific books written by airline pilots or someone that might help. But yeah, definitely look at the reading list, and and I know there's a lot of. Uh, airline pilots that have blogs online too that that could be helpful too to look at just to give you an idea of what the life's like and how they got where they're at lots of free stuff out there lots of good stuff too that's that's for sure anyway thanks for the question and uh let's leave. let's move on to our next question it comes from somebody that's uh, out there flying doing some really interesting stuff and says here uh says, thanks for doing this podcast. I'm always looking for ways to further my professional flying dream, and I believe you've done exactly that for me. I've only been listening for a few days, but was recently on a long trip visiting family and listened to at least 30 episodes. Wow, that's a lot of listening. I'm just now having the chance to thumb through your website, as well as a few of your guests' website. I will most likely sign up for a coaching session here soon. A little bit about myself, I'm a 25-year-old Marine Corps veteran who worked on attack helicopters over the course of a five-year enlistment. Thanks for your service, by the way. We really appreciate that. While in, I was happily married and had three beautiful children. I'm now a civilian, still happily married, with one more on the way. Wow, congratulations. I work full-time as an avionics engineer. I love my job and my life and my job. However, like the majority of listeners, I hear you discuss flying has always been the dream last year i started at a community college that offers part 141 helicopter and fixed wing training up through cfi being a rotary wing guy i started down the two-year helicopter path and i thoroughly enjoyed flying them however i realized shortly after starting the program that what i really wanted to do was fly for an airline so i told myself that would go through the helicopter program as fast as possible and then turn around and go back through the fixed wing program. Due to maintenance efficiency and turnaround times on repairs, it's been about a year, and I'm just now taking my private pilot checkride. Being a post-9-11 GI Bill student, it's very disconcerting at how long it's taken simply for the private portion. Being that I only have a total of 36 months of eligibility at 100%, and I've already burned through three semesters worth of benefits just for my private pilot license. Can't exactly pick up a move to another school with better resources due to my family and my job, so I'm trying to make the most of what I've got here. What I've chalked it up to is this. If I really want to learn to fly helicopters before going the fixed wing route, I'm most likely to end up needing financial aid as well as your scholarships guide to finish paying for my fixed wing training, as I'll most likely run out of the GI Bill benefits. That's not so bad, except that I'm 25 and want to be flying for a living sooner rather than later. The idea of being a regional airline five years from now and having the option to do helicopter CFI work on the side is what I'm envisioning. Am I prolong prolonging my dream by not going the fixed wing route right now? Or will it be better off in the end, as this will boost my total time to get to the airline sooner with the option of doing fixed wing slash rotor wing CFI work to supplement income once I'm there? 
Like I said, I, I most likely purchase some coaching sessions. I feel a bit scatterbrained on the issue, but I'd love to hear a discussion on this show. Perhaps this could be a good segue into teaching perspectives, flight students to look to at available resources for the school and their ability to maintain equipment efficiently before committing. So looking at that, let, let's talk about that just a little bit uh, first. Uh, you're, you're talking about the maintenance of the airplanes at a flight school. And I know Robert and I can talk a, a lot about this because we taught it to a similar flight school. One of the most important things is having a, a school that has good maintenance because you don't want to be held up by the maintenance of the aircraft and having an aircraft down due to maintenance all the time. Also very important is scheduling and making sure the airplanes are available and making sure that they're efficient in their scheduling. So uh, one of the things you really, to, to find this out, is there's nowhere you can really go but to talk to people and ask people. And I know there's all these re resources on the internet, but a lot of times it, it's tough to, to really figure that out. You know, what you know, what's what's out there? You know, what it what is it? How do they how do they do their maintenance? It, are they done on time? That kind of thing. Uh, so that, I think you're right. That is very important. And I know I've taught in a lot of different schools across the country. And if you just talk to people, you can find out that information. Um, Robert, I know you and I both were very lucky to start our flight instructing career at the same place, and and we're very lucky to have have a really good maintenance shop there. Um, and, you know, is there anything else you might look towards when you look at the possibility of figuring out how their maintenance is or if they're, you know, doing things efficiently? Yeah, I would really, you know, I didn't realize how, how spoiled we were because <laughs> I never worked at a school that didn't have good maintenance and that the aircraft would be down for a couple of weeks. So that thought never even crossed my mind until I've heard, you know, other people talk about it. Because um, you just write something up and it go right in the shop, it come right back out and it's ready to fly, you know. Um, with that said, yeah, I mean, uh, asking around and, and actually talking to people uh, who are at that school are probably going to give you the best the best uh, gauge of exactly how that's going. Uh, the internet, I mean, there is schools, there's reviews on the schools uh, that might come out um, doing, you know, some research on the internet, but uh, actually talking to students, engaging their, you know, either satisfaction or frustration with how much they're flying um, is is probably going to be key. So, yeah, I, I'm sorry you said that experience where it's just been frustrating and taking that time and, and the uh, aircraft being down so long that, you know, it's taken so long to take the private. But, uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I would agree with what you said, though. Talking to people who are going to school is probably the best way to go. So circling back to his other question, uh, and this is a, uh, some a tough question, but I, I think uh, you answered your own question here in this email. It, you asked, am I prolonging my dream by not going the fixed wing route right now? Uh, well, actually, you if your dream is to become an airline pilot, having a rotary wing uh, is not what you need at all. I mean, you need to get your fixed wing. Having the rotary wing is awesome. And yes, it leads to that other dream of yours to be able to be a, a rotary wing CFI. But you can do that later on. You don't have to do that right away. And there's lots of folks that get into the rotary uh, later on in life. But specifically to move forward, it's a lot less expensive to go the fixed wing route than the rotary wing route. And I know uh, we've I've had a lot of experience with a lot of rotary wing uh, pilots coming from the military. And also, uh, I know Robert has. And one of the things that is difficult in certain scenarios is the fact that you don't have your ratings in a fixed wing. So now you have to go back through these courses and finish up your fixed wing. Whereas here you have a choice uh, to do your rotary or your fixed wing, and you can move forward with that, uh, uh, the fixed wing first, and then go into the rotary using your benefits later on or, or you know, whatever there. But the, the real, you know, there's a real shortage of pilots right now. So, Robert, I'd, I'd love you to, to weigh in on this one here as far as his dream moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I read this, I read this, uh, question earlier today when I was preparing uh, to go on the show here and I, the, I identified the two goals as well. Two goals is airline pilot and uh, rotary CFI uh, and, and, and instructing in helicopters and which is cool. Helicopters are, are great. I've never gotten to fly one and that's I bet they're a lot of fun but I have to agree with you Carl on this one is the fact that if your goal right now is to have your primary income coming from being an airline pilot 
uh, I would focus more on getting the fixed wing ratings, especially with the GI Bill and the fact that you know time's ticking on the GI Bill. Uh, it just makes more sense. Um, I always would encourage people to enter this career with as little debt as possible. So if you can use that to your advantage, get your fixed wing ratings, get that knocked out, get them complete, and then go and pursue pursue the airline, uh, whatever path it takes to get there, whether that be flight instructing, fixed wing, or doing something else fixed wing to get your time to get to the airlines. Right now, with the retirements the way they are, you want to get to the airlines as quickly as possible because that is where you're going to build up that seniority fast. And and the sooner you can get here, uh, the better. So I would probably, if, if I was the, um, you know, the, the question writer, I would definitely put the rotary wing on hold, try to get on with the airlines as quickly, get your fixed, get your fixed wings ratings, pursue that airline career and then have that be your source of income. And then from there, if you want to pursue the rotary part of your goal, absolutely get your, get your license, work your way up, get your CFI and then have fun doing that on the side for a little extra income while you're flying for the airlines and building that seniority. But yeah, Carl, I I absolutely agree with you. Um, if, if, if I were him, I would definitely want to pursue the fixed wing because I think that would be, uh, where you want to be focusing your efforts on right now, and that's where you can make the the overall more stable career for yourself, to, and then use that career to supplement uh, the side career of the flight instructing and helicopters. So that's probably not what he wanted to hear right now. He probably wants to get his, his, his rotary wing, and I get it. I mean, there's so many fun things to do out there. From a purely financial perspective, uh, having your fixed wing and, and just looking at your goals, that the rotary wing looks like the part-time thing. Do the, the main goal first and move forward. Once you get on with an airline, you'll be making plenty of money to go out and get your, your rotary wing uh, afterwards. Uh, with that said, just as a, just one point on the money thing. I know right now they're giving away so much money, and I know the first year it looks so appealing. But remember to look at those numbers because that's a total compensation package, which I think is very important to look at when you are looking at an airline. But you pay your bills, your monthly bills, with the money that comes in from your paycheck. A lot of these uh, airlines, and I get it, it makes sense, they want to put out there a number, a really high number, to show you what you're really getting. But those are, may not be the, the dollars you're getting in your paycheck. There'll be things that you're getting like through retirements and, and, and per diem, et cetera, and some other health benefits. And they're looking at the total costs. So you're getting this great salary, getting these great bonuses your first year. Your second year, you're not going to see those. So you could actually see in the regional side of the world, your income go down somewhat after the first year and possibly your third year. And you're not going to see your incomes grow as much on the captain's side just because of the fact that those people are moving out the door to the major. So where has the money gone? It's gone to the first year pilot, first and second year pilot, and that's it. Uh, so, so make sure you're careful as far as when you start spending that money uh, because you know these big numbers that are thrown out there are total compensation packages, which I understand is very important to know. But remember, you pay your bills with what's in your paycheck, not your total compensation package. Let me give you a good example. If they say that they're going to put $10,000 into your 401k, that's great, but that's $10,000 you can't touch. Uh, so that's not going to pay your bills. And it's not going to pay the light bill. Uh, it is important as far as your career is concerned, as far as your life is concerned. Uh, but make sure you look at the real numbers and don't overspend, especially in your first year. So anyway, thanks for that great question. I know you didn't want to hear that answer, but but good stuff. That's for sure. Well, Robert, moving on to the next question, and this is a really good question, and I know there's a lot of people have the same problem with their logbook. So let's talk a little bit about this. First, let's let's read the question. It says here, I am a longtime listener of the podcast and want to thank you for all the time and effort you put into helping others that are interested in aviation. My question relates to logbooks, more specifically fixing logbook errors. I'm currently transferring all of my... approximately 300 hours to an electronic log and have discovered numerous errors in either how I or my instructors logged multiple entries. For example, logging cross-country time without specifying that it was less than 550 nautical miles or not logging PIC for myself when I was doing a checkout flight 
or complex training. I have yet to determine if the multiple arrows would have put me below the required minimums for one of my certificates or ratings, either instrument or commercial. But I suppose at this point it doesn't really matter since I'm, I've already passed the check rides. Um, and we're going to get into that in just a second. Uh, he continues, my biggest concern is my future job interviews. My current system to fix the situation is to make all the corrections as necessary in my electronic logbook for all the previous flights, which should give me accurate totals. I'm also keeping a log of corrections I'm making and why. I'm leaving my paper logbook as is, mainly to prevent having to correct the totals on every page for the sake of neatness. Does this sound like a good plan to you? My biggest worries is that the potential employers wouldn't approve of this discrepancies in my paper log. In your experience with interviews, has an electronic log been acceptable by itself or would I need to present my paper log as well? Let's, let me answer the last question first as far as uh, electronic logbooks. Everybody's using them these days. Uh, my biggest suggestion to people that are using an electronic logbook is print it out, make it look kind of cool, and that's what I've done with my logs is I print it out, put it on like that green pa paper, and makes it look really, really nice. There's all sorts of stuff out there as to how to print your logbooks out. Um, actually, we could actually do a video on that one too, but uh, yeah, electronic logbooks, I see them all the time, but they're usually uh, printed out in a format that's easily readable by someone like myself. Uh, don't print them out in a format that isn't easily readable. Make it make it really good there. So make sure that that is really, really important. But uh, And I know, uh, Robert, you've seen quite a few electronic logbooks. So let's answer that last one first, then we'll go into the tough ones. So what do you think uh, as far as a logbook? Have you seen these, and what do people normally do? Yeah, I've seen some really nice ones, actually, the electronic ones. In fact, my buddy has one. He was showing me. It looked really, really nice. He put a, a spiral bound uh, on it, and uh, he took it to Kinko's. It cost quite a bit for him to print it out, but, man, it looked great. Uh, as far as paper logs and electronic logs, I really don't think, as long as it's a neat presentation and it is accurate, which I guess is what we'll get into in the next conversation, I don't think it really makes one way or another uh, when it comes time for you know, an interview, uh, as long as it's, it's, uh, legible, neat, uh, well put together. I, I think that's fine. So, and I agree. And these do look really, really cool. A lot of the ones that I've seen printed out are really awesome with their picture on it. And it's really, really neat, but let's open up this can of worms. We're about to open up here. The, one of the things I've seen people do is exactly what this, uh, writer is talking about. One of the things that people can do to fix their logbook is they move everything over to an electronic logbook. And what that does is it enables you to make sure everything adds up properly, etc. And me, the person that's doing the interview and looking at your logbook, that's all I'm going to see. I don't even know you have a written logbook. I have written logbooks for my other type of flying, some of my GA and gliders and helicopters. All that stuff's in another logbook. I don't even put that in my flying logbook for work. But the, the one thing that you said in the first paragraph, it, it, it doesn't really matter since you already passed the check rides. Uh, just, uh, and I don't want people to get nervous over this, but it kind of does matter a little bit because if the FA does go back and deem that you uh, were not, it wasn't valid at the time uh, of the check ride as far as you're getting the instrument and the commercial, there's, there's a few things that they might, might do to you, uh, maybe possibly nothing. Uh, they may go back and talk to the examiner, but first of all, let's let's talk of the first thing. If they show that you are purposefully lying, then there could be revocation of your license, obviously your pilot certificate, and uh, and if it was a mistake, which you know in this case it seems like a mistake, it wasn't purposeful. Uh, you may have to wind up doing what's called a 709 ride. Uh, this is just a check by the FAA uh, to make sure that you are able to perform to the standards in the in the, the airman certification standards and the practical test standards, et cetera. And what this will allow them to do is say, yes, you are an instrument or a commercial pilot. I've seen this happen with people and their flight instructors and certain other ratings, and it really can be a pain in the butt. Uh, so uh, just a caution there. Make sure that uh, everything is right and go back, look at the numbers, see if they do jive, that type of thing. Uh, could it happen to you in the future? Yeah, it could that they'd ask you to do a, a recheck, which a 709 basically is. So 
uh, again, the one point I want to make, though, that's really important is if you're, and I get this question a lot, if you're somebody that wants to quote-unquote pencil with their logbook, and that's not what you're talking about, uh, or wants to, to kind of pad their logbook, be very careful because that can bite you later on. Just like if, a, if something happens that was wrong, that can bite you too. I will say they didn't have electronic logbooks when I started out, and um, they were very rudimentary. And I had a mistake in my logbook, and it looked pretty ugly, but I was able to do the entry and redo it and then go back to make sure that I did qualify even with the the, uh, problem that was in there. So the first question to ask yourself is, would you have qualified for those those check rides either way if it was right or it was wrong? And uh, so let's go look at that first. So, and make sure that you can. If you if there's a discrepancy, um, then if you're moving to the electronic logbook, obviously that probably won't come out. Um, and that's uh, I'm not saying that to lie or anything, but that actually it's the way it is. I mean, a lot of people are doing that. They're moving on to electronic logbooks to make it look really, really nice. Um, the uh, as far as a potential employer is looking at discrepancies in your paper log. That would only be if you brought your paper logs. Uh, if you printed out your electronic log, there's no reason to bring your paper logbook. You're at a point in your career that you don't have that many hours that you can put all these in there, so you might as well go ahead and do that. One of the things I do is I do look for discrepancies in people's logbooks, like uh, people logging a lot of uh, multi-engine time that really wasn't supposed to be logged, that type of thing. Uh, so we do look at that, and uh, we look at discrepancies. But again, if it's been printed out and it looks nice and neat in a, in a uh, electronic log that's moved to a paper and printed, you're not going to quite get that, catch that as much. So Robert, in your experience as far as looking at some log books, I know I've gone over a couple things here. Um, first of all, I, I mean, have you ever run into problems with people's log books and said, hey, wait a minute, what's this? And then uh, in, in this guy, in this person's case, you know, what should he do? So yes, I, I've seen quite a few errors in logbooks, and I think that, especially if you keep a paper logbook like I do, um, you're you're going to make an error at some point in there. Um, I think maybe well, I shouldn't say you're going to. Some people manage to avoid it. I certainly did in mine. Um, so yes, in interviews, I've seen blatant pencil whipping where people were just. And again, you said we're not talking about that, but I have seen it, so that does stick out. But I've seen people make mistakes, and this is kind of what I've done too uh, as far as fixing a mistake on my logbook where you realize an error. And my, I'll just give you the example of, of my case, okay? I made a mathematical error, and I ended up a couple, couple hours more in one column than I should have had. Uh, so what I did was I went back, I found where I made the error, and unfortunately for me it was uh, like half a logbook back, so it took a long time to fix it. But I scratched out, not, I didn't scratch out, I lined through the error, my mathematical error, I put the correct amount, and then I put an asterisk on the logbook. And then in on that asterisk, I put another asterisk on the bottom of the page and wrote, this was corrected for math error. And then I went back and I changed it and I fixed it. I didn't white it out. I didn't scratch, you know, you know, scratch it out. So you couldn't see the original number. I just simply put a line through it and corrected it. And I initialed it. And then I put the asterisk for the reason why I was correcting it. And then I put a note where I finally got to the last page where the correction needed to be made and put, this was corrected from, you know, uh, this date back from on this logbook. So that way when an interviewer was going through it, cause I did bring my paper log books to an interview, when, I, when the interview was going through it, they could say, oh, okay, he just made a simple math mistake. He's not trying to – it didn't affect anything. Uh, otherwise, it's just a math mistake. He's not trying to hide anything. So typically, I've, I've seen a lot of that in interviews too from other people's logbooks where it's just a simple mistake. Now, in the case of, of the situation we're talking about um, – I don't know exactly. I was trying to read the question and understand, and maybe you can help me with this, Carl, maybe a little more insight. I was trying to read the question and understand. Um, it, it sounds like as far as the pilot and command time, uh, he should have been logging pilot and command time when he wasn't. So I don't think that is necessarily going to be the issue because it sounds like his error would have made him to right. the... To, more qualified. <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. So it sounds like more is an issue with cross-country time. Right, um, right. That's exactly it. And that's kind of brings up a whole other conversation on that. But uh, Okay. So, yeah, to get back to what we are asking, I, I don't know if... Yeah, that would be the way I would try to fix it if I did find the errors. But I definitely would not... Um, 
see, I don't know. This is a tough one because there's so many different uh, opinions on it. So that that would be how I correct the error. And I have seen them uh, as I've interviewed people. Uh, but the the biggest thing is you don't want to raise a flag that you're trying to hide something. I guess wh- whatever method you choose to try to correct this, the biggest thing is you don't want to give an interviewer the you know raise a red flag saying hey i'm trying to hide something i'm 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 trying to be deceitful in this does that make sense yeah and and this kind of brings up a good good uh, question is that what are you going to bring to the interview uh if you do move everything over to electronic logbooks there's no reason to bring your paper log originally you can put everything in the electronic logbook and it'll look nice and neat i think that's another issue is, is making it look nice and neat but uh but if there is an issue there then yeah you can address that as far as do you have enough cross-country time um and that this brings up another issue too, and we'll get back to the whole logging thing. Uh, I never, as an instructor, would log anything that was you know less than fifty nautical miles uh, as cross country. Uh, oh, I, ditto. Yeah, I would never do. And I see people doing it now, uh, and and I know that some of the people are gonna you can get on me for this. I know I'm gonna see some of my listeners, and I I'm not a big believer in that. And if you just fly from say I live here in Lakeland to Plant City, which is not very far away as, uh, you know, maybe it's 20 miles or so. That is technically a cross country, yes. But for the purposes of a rating, it's going to be greater than 50 nautical miles and uh, is what you want to see in your logbook. So be careful there uh, because you can run into just the exact problem that this person might have. We don't know because. Uh, you can go back and look at your logbook, make sure you do have all the, the requirements. And that may have happened when you actually went and got your rating. That I'm assuming that's what your instructor did. So, oh, yeah, you know, I know we have these that are greater than 50 nautical miles logged here and these that are 50 nautical miles or less over here. But, uh, but that gets confusing, doesn't it, Robert? It does. And that's why I'm in your you know, school of thought. Absolutely. I would not put it down unless it was 50 miles. And like you're saying, technically, yes, it's cross country, but it could get super confusing for you. So the other thing that I think is really interesting here is that, and just for this specific person, you're moving to an electronic logbook. I don't think there's going to be much of an issue uh, because it's going to look nice and neat. Uh, look at those times. Make sure it's correct. We can have another discussion later if it's not correct as to what to do and uh, and how to move forward with that. Uh, but please don't, like we said, pencil whip it. That, and that brings up a whole other thing, and we're going to close on, on this issue as far as logging time. And this is something that I get into a lot of discussions outside of, of work and offline with people saying that they should be able to log certain times, and their instructor said they could. And uh, that's great, but the problem is, like uh, you know, Robert was saying, there's a lot of times where you see people, quote-unquote, pencil whipping or outright lying uh, about their time, uh, and you really will need to make that case in your logbook uh, if you actually did do that. Say, oh, no, it's okay to log this time because of this, this, and this. And then the interviewer may disagree with you. So I was kind of curious, Robert, you know, what have you run across as far as examples, as far as what people have done to actually, quote unquote, pad their logbook or pencil whip their logbook? Oh, one story that sticks out is uh, one gentleman was coming in and he had, uh, he didn't have a lot of flying recently in a logbook, but uh, he had some uh, flights that he, what kind of aircraft was it? It was a, Oh, you know, I can't think of I, it was it was a turbojet aircraft, some kind like a like a Lear or Citation or something, um, and he had it logged in his book from you know from Florida up to somewhere in Mississippi and and down again, and it was all like fairly recent time, just kind of out of the, out of nowhere. He had this this time in his book with no no proof of recency, you know, no proof of you know being checked out or, or current in the aircraft, so. You know, this is when the internet really is uh, it can be used as a good tool because you can just go into FlightAware, look up the tail number, and most likely see, you know, the had that aircraft after really you know flown that day. Because if you're flying, you know, an aircraft like that from point A to point B, and you're already kind of suspicious of this time this guy's put in his logbook, well, you can look at that date and see if there's an IFR flight plan on file for that aircraft. So, you know, stuff like that. Uh, I saw a little bit of that. Um, but it, it, you see, like logbooks have a normal rhythm to them. They have a natural, 
you know, progression to them from starting from, you know, student pilot to get to a point where you're interviewing. And you can see, you can tell from a law book if it's, you know, if the, if the flying, just, just looking at a law book and, and seeing the progression. And you should see a career progression in that log book. And sometimes you get these log books that are just so all over the place. And uh, all of a sudden, it'll just have some random aircraft that, you know, uh, requires a type rating, but yet it's in their logbook, you know? And you're going, okay, well, you're not typed in this aircraft, so you really can't log the time in that aircraft. So stuff like that. You, you After looking at logbooks for a long enough time, you know the ones that are pretty solid, and, and you can pick up the stuff that is real fishy pretty easy after after doing it for a while. So that's why it's just good never to try to pad the logbook because – an interviewer, especially if it's an interviewer who's been doing it for a while, they can pick up that real easy just looking at it. And that's and it's interesting you brought that up because I see people logging PIC time when they should have been SIC time because they don't have a type rating in the aircraft. Mm-hmm. And uh, you and that is actually an issue I see quite often. I'm glad you brought that one up. Uh, you know, I've done a lot of flying in different small jets and uh, was never able to put PIC in my logbook. Did a lot of SIC time, and uh, but no PIC time. So, uh, and also another thing too, a lot of people don't realize. You know, back you know when I started in the airlines, you didn't have to have a SIC type, and uh, you know, so you're like, okay, you know, where did you? Where's your type rating? Well, it's, it's not even you know. It's, it's not. I don't need a PIC type. Excuse me. I don't need a PIC type. It's just an SIC type for the airlines, uh, which has changed uh, over the past few years. So you got to look at their logbook and see. Okay, it's under the la, la, old rules, new rules, that kind of thing. But I think the big point is, um, and I every single time that I go to an air show, a big air show, there's lots of people. I always get the question about, well, my instructor says I can log this as this type of time, but if there's a lot of people telling you you shouldn't do that. Um, Maybe you should ask people like us that have done some type of recruiting and, and have looked at resumes and looked at logbooks and see what our opinion is. Because if we start seeing that, we're going to raise the red flag and say, hey, you know, we have so many other candidates out there. Why should we even mess with this? Because this could learn, lean into a problem that this person may lose their certificate. And now we put all this training into them, and now they're going to be out of work for a while. And uh, we're now going to have to help them get his certificates back or have to terminate them if it's shown that they actually lied and uh, and that's something you don't want to have happen because that would really be uh, ruinous in your career uh, right <laughs> it's a general rule of thumb right if you can sit there and debate it for an hour because it's a gray area if you should be put in your book or not just stay away from it it's Good not idea. it's it's just absolutely not worth blowing an interview or blowing your career over it's just not it's a great conversation at the bar though that's that's yes. where it should stay is right there. It's a lot of fun and uh, and it actually makes sense after a few beers probably. But if it doesn't make sense on the the, the full light of of somebody uh, that's looking at you, just scrutinizing your logbook, then then just don't do it. But uh, anyway, th- this has been a good discussion on logbooks, and I really wanted to talk about this because this person's question was was excellent and. Uh, I think this is something that a lot of people deal with. I've had to deal with. Robert has had to deal with it. And um, my suggestion to you, just for this question, is go back, make sure you did comply with all the restrictions for that that certificate for the instrument of the commercial. Make sure that you had all the qualifications. If you did, no big deal. Uh, if you didn't, then we'll have to take that conversation another another avenue. But uh, that's really really important. Well. Uh, Robert, any other suggestions before we, we close this out as far as this, this question is concerned? Because we, we ran a little bit long here. No, uh, just if you're going to fix it, uh, at least if you're going to fix it in the paper logbook, I know you're going to do more electronic, but if you are going to fix it in the paper logbook, just avoid scratching it out. Just you know, line through uh, the item so you can still read it and make a note of why it was incorrect. And just make it, make it as low-key as possible so you're not raising red flags. Great point. Uh, be a transparent line through it. Uh, make sure they can see what the error was. Don't try to hide anything. So I really, I really like that one, Robert. Really, really awesome, Robert. This has been awesome having you back uh, for this uh, question and answer session. We've got quite a few more, uh, and I'd love to have you back on soon so we can answer some more of these questions here. And uh, and of course, if you have questions, feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com is the best way to get in touch with us. And uh, and also, as far as the resume is concerned, like I said. Check it out. It's a piledjobsbook.com. 
actually the Pile Jobs book on our website, aviationcareerspodcast.com. Click on it, and uh, you can see the course. You can see the first course for free, and it is, it's really or the first lesson, excuse me, for free. Sign up for that if you just want to look at what a good resume looks like and a good cover letter. He does, does a great job on that. Plus, his videos, you're going you're gonna to learn a few things on it. Robert, I think you got a chance to take a peek at the videos, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I, I sure did. So they're, they're pretty good. I haven't flipped through all of them. Um, but uh, I'm going to take a closer look at him here soon. But what okay. I've seen has been good so far. Good. Well, we'll get a review from Robert after that. Well, thanks again for being on, Robert. And uh, and we'll definitely have you on here sh- soon and uh, and talk some more. And it's been wonderful having you help out, especially with all your experience doing interviews. And, uh, and you know, it's been a blast. I know uh, you've been in a new job for a while. I'm coming up on five years in the job I have now. And people ask me, you know, do you still like it? I was like, yeah. I still love my job. Uh, I like a lot of things about it. I like the days off. I like the flying. Um, I, and the cool thing is I can change what I'm doing. I can go on a long trip, a short trip, and uh, or I can stay home a lot more depending on how much I want to work. But the neat thing is I can make as much as I want or as little as I want based on how much I work. And that's that's a really cool job to have. Um, anyway, if you have questions, please write to us. I know we're really backed up over a few months. Uh, we've been actually been doing a different system now. We prioritize the questions like something that's really important that a lot of people need to know. Uh, we'll get those out there. I tried to you know do some inspirational ones on this one. So if you hear your question read months later and you hear some, and somebody else hears it right away, it's because we're starting to do a little prioritization of some of these questions here. And of course, we're going to have more and more interviews coming up. And uh, and don't forget that uh, if you are actually looking at your logbook and you see an error, uh, go back and look over it. And look over it and really look into that and get some opinions from people. If you have any questions, of course, you can write to us, talk to your instructor, talk to different people. You know, folks, if, if you're if you're looking at this career right now and you're trying to figure out how to do this, I mean, how are you going to swallow this, this elephant? Well, you don't. You eat an elephant one bite at a time, just like you do anything else in life. It's one step at a time. So I'd encourage you to do something today to move forward in your career. Take one step, either a small step or a large leap. Uh, do something now to move forward in your career. Don't wait till tomorrow. Do it now. When you turn this off, make a phone call. Talk to somebody about your career. Talk to somebody about your logbook. Ask your friends, relatives, what they think about your career. Get some feedback. Your spouse, your significant other. Do that. Do that today. And we'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.